Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Chris Miles. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Henry. Glad, glad to be here. We're glad to have you. Uh, Chris is uh, known as the cash flow expert. He is a leading authority on how to quickly free up and create cash flow. He's done that for thousands of his clients, entrepreneurs, and others internationally. He's an author, speaker, and podcast host. His podcast show is called The Chris Miles Money Show. And he's been featured in US News, CNN Money, and Entrepreneur on Fire, helping thousands internationally get fast financial results. Uh, after working as a traditional financial advisor and stock coach for several years, Chris came to the stark realization that the financial advising industry was not showing anyone how to quickly and safely become financially prosperous. So after leaving that industry, Chris was able to retire when he was 28 years old and has since worked to teach his effective, unique strategies for companies like Freedom Fast Track and Garrett Gunderson, and now his latest business, Money Ripples, while also exposing the popular myths around money that have kept so many from enjoying financial freedom and peace of mind, and we're gonna delve into that. So in this episode, Chris is gonna share with us his personal entrepreneurial journey and some valuable tips and advice for improving cash flow in our business, as well as just other general tips and insights on how to better manage our business. He lives in Lehigh, Utah, I believe I have that right. And so Chris Miles, once again, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. So it is Lehigh. I'm not sure where that is. Tell me where that is. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. It's a, yeah. If you don't know where it is, it's, if you ever watched the movie from the eighties footloose, it basically that's, that's where it was filmed. Okay. Okay. So it's uh, near what big city I would know? Salt Lake City. Got it's it. not too far from okay. there. And okay. it's a lot bigger than it used to look 30 years ago when they did too. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> because everything has grown in that area. Well, sure. great. Uh, so I'd like to start where we usually start, uh, which is with your background and how you got to where you are today and a little bit of research that I was able to do. Um, I loved one of your quotes. I think it was on your LinkedIn profile. Quote, High school graduate, lots of sports and classes that I never studied for, end quote. So <laughs> what I gathered from that is that maybe traditional schooling might not have been your thing, but tell me about that. Yeah, you know, I always, that's the thing. Like I, I grew up in near Portland, Oregon. That's where I was originally raised. And uh, and, and out there, like I, I had the gift of just not having to study a lot through school. Mm, okay. um, you know, people either, you know, envied it or hated me for it. Um, it wasn't until like college, you know, that I actually had to study a little bit more, but, uh, you know, that's why I've said like, I didn't really study for classes cause I did lots of sports, you know, at, at one point my senior year, I did three sports and I just did the minimal amount of homework, still graduated with honors. <laughs> you know, but, yeah. Gifted yeah. and a jock. Yeah. I would have hated you. There's no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you end up at BYU and, uh, studied sociology and then went on to Utah Valley University. Just tell me about all that and what you ended up studying, what you ended up majoring in. Yeah. So I majored in like sociology or behavioral science with a sociology emphasis. Um, I actually had, could have had a triple minor in psychology, Japanese hmm. and ballroom dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, that tells you, tells us a lot about you, that diversity, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's a little bit of Renaissance man in me, I guess. And so, uh, so I actually did that. And then my senior year, I had gone through, you know, a divorce. So it was kind of a life event. I dropped my, you know, I dropped doing my classes. I was right at my thesis. I'd finished it up, but I had one class to go. And I started to check my life a little bit. And I said, you know, and my whole goal was to become a business consultant. So if I was going to become a business consultant, rather than just having books, book smarts, I should have real life experience. And so my senior year of college, I decided I was going to go and, and get into business. And the first thing that came my way was becoming a financial advisor. And so I did that, started to like it. I started liking to have my own business. And so I quit. I dropped out of college with one, really one course to do wow. uh, to get my bachelor's. And I uh, never went back. 
Um, although I did try once, but then when they told me I had to go to school for a year and a half to get that bachelor's, I said, oh, forget that. No longer you know. had the value for you. So, yeah. so business consulting, what did you imagine that was back then? And, and that seems like a very specific thing at such a young age. How did that come to you that that's what you wanted to do? You know, I mean, I, at first I wanted to be a scientist, you know, like <laughs> I wanted to be a physicist, astronomer growing up. Um, but then I remember my senior year of high school, um, I just declared that my major was going to be sociology. I had no clue what it was. I just figured it was like, it was like psychology, but studying groups of people instead of individuals. That's all I knew. And, uh, so I went to that, but I kind of liked it. I, I really liked studying human behavior and how things worked that way. And, uh, and with business consulting, I, I, my vision, I guess, if you've ever seen the movie Office Space, right? Sure. Um, the Bobs. If you remember the Bobs, I want to be <laughs> like them. Come into a business, tell the companies what they're doing wrong with their employees and fix it and walk out with a big paycheck. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, that was pretty much my vision at, when I was in college. Um, but that started to shift and change as time went on. And it's funny, and now I've started to go back towards business owners again um, because that, uh, you know, sometimes you go off course, but sometimes you come right back to where you originally were going. And it seems like maybe there's a common thread there that you, like a lot of entrepreneurs, including myself, we, we tend to have a little bit of a short attention span. But, <laughs> but really what it is is we like the next challenge. We don't want to do one thing for very long. Is, is that a fair description of at least who you were back then and maybe who you are now? Yeah, like I, I'm the kind of person that I go with my gut. You know, my gut tends to be right more often. Even I, mean, I love to use my brain and use rationale, and that's usually why I go, jump off course sometimes. Is I try to overthink things, mm. think like, oh well, it should look like this, rather than just saying, you know what, this is what feels right, do it. And uh, and so as I've started to do that more and more, I've noticed that my change and and you know the evolution is 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 shifted to where it's more gradual instead of like jumping tracks a lot and things like that. Yeah. All right. So then, as you alluded to, you ended up selling financial products, becoming a stock coach. And of course, there, I think it seems to me you developed a lot of your uh, understanding and concerns and reasons why that just doesn't serve people well. Just tell us a little bit about that, what, what you experienced there. Yeah, you bet. I mean, so, I mean, I was a financial advisor for four years and, you know, I studied pretty hard. Now, I, I was not someone who was naturally gifted with money. Um, but I am a quick learner. Um, obviously, I'm, I can pick up a lot of things. I mean, it's so much to the point where actually right there towards the end of college, I, I about made it to the quarterfinals of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire hmm. and almost made it onto the show. Wow. Um, but got cut last minute, so I didn't actually make it on TV. Um, but, you know, it's just that random information I have. And so I started to do that same thing in my profession. And I actually really did want to help people with money. But I'm also, like I said, I kind of have a scientist-type brain. I like to experiment. And I like to see evidence. And when I looked at what people's re, like real results were, especially when I would inherit clients that were from decades of financial advice, they weren't that much better off than everybody else. And then, then my bubble got popped even more. Uh, and this is when I really started to understand that business was a place as like the, the number one investment, which is funny. Most business owners, if you ask them what investments they've done, they'll never talk about their business. Yeah. But that is the number one cash flowing business or investment you've got. Most likely, hopefully, you know, and uh, and so that I remember going to my brother-in-law, and he was the son of the guy that sold all these dealerships to the guy that owned the Utah Jazz, right? So, okay, um, very wealthy family. Um, it took me three years as a financial advisor to build the confidence to say, you know what, I think I know more than him. So I remember I went in, I got him to agree to come sit down with me. I brought in the best guy from my office. I wore my best suit. Brought you know, spent hours on a great presentation just to wow his socks off. Because if, if I knew I got in with him, I got in with all their inner circle of friends that had millions and millions of dollars. And then I'd be set for life, right? And so I remember I went in and I gave the presentation. And after I was done, my brother-in-law said, you know, that was a great presentation. But let me ask you a question. You know, you say that if I just give you, say I give you 10 grand just to play with today, you're saying you can maybe make me 12% a year, right? <laughs> I was like, yeah, because I mean, back then we believed that was true in the early 2000s, yeah, right? Sure, 8 to 12%, 12% being at the high end probably if I was doing it right. Yeah, because you go off averages, which don't mean real returns. They're just mm -hmm. average returns, which are skewed. Um, and so I was like, yeah, I mean, I can't promise you that, but that's what history has shown since 2000 BC, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so he's like, okay, Chris, okay, that's like 1200 bucks in a year. And I'm like, yeah, isn't that awesome? Like after like 5 million years, you'll be a re you know, freaking multimillionaire. He's like, now, Chris, now I can take this same $10,000 and I can go put a down payment on a semi truck because he still had, you know, they still had a few dealerships in their family. I can put a down payment on a semi truck for 10 grand 
turn around a few months later, sell it, and make $20,000 profit. So why would I invest with you? And, wow. uh, and you know, just spouting out all the crap that financial advisors have always taught and taught you, I said, well, you should be diversified. You shouldn't <laughs> pull our eggs in one basket. In fact, you know, business is risky. It's just too risky. You shouldn't take that kind of risk. You know, in other words, you should buy for me because I don't make any commissions off of you making money in your business, right. which is a bunch of bull crap. Right. You know, and, uh, and he's like, okay, well, there you go. Um, well, thanks for your time, Chris. We'll see you. You know, and left me with my tail tucked between my legs, and I went out the door. And it was one of the coolest things you could have ever done with me. You know, and I, I tell a lot of business owners, like, they got to, like, buck up and realize that they control their own money. Because some of them are like, yeah, but my financial advisor says this or this. I'm like, you are in control of your own money. And you know what? You make more money than they do on your investment, which is your business. So, to heck with them. Like, stop trying to put your money in crappy things that don't make money anyways. You know, and granted, you can use things to create multiple streams of income, but they're going to make a way better return than what you're doing with, you know, a mutual fund that you hope and pray makes 5 or 6% a year, which is like the real rate of return of mutual funds, right? That's right. They suck. <laughs> it, no, it's, it's so that's amazing. why I left in 2006. I was like, okay, I'm done. Um, especially after I met millionaires, all of them said the same thing. They didn't just think differently about money. They thought the exact opposite about money. Isn't that, I mean, isn't that amazing? What, what an incredible takeaway, right? I mean, that, there's no doubt that blew your mind and then it sunk in very quickly. But what you've summarized there is huge. There's so many takeaways there. And it comes from, as you've talked about, that we've been we've been conditioned, trained, indoctrinated into thinking a certain way about money. And in a lot of it is absolutely wrong. Absolutely. Yeah, we're taught to, to think of money out of scarcity, not out of abundance. <laughs> right, and this whole myth of risk and what is risky and what is not. And that's why <laughs> what I find and a lot of our listeners find and understandably, trust me, I've been there as well, is that we then have this great fear of jumping into starting our own thing because we've been indoctrinated into thinking mm -hmm. that that is the highest risk thing we can possibly do. Yeah. that's uh, my, my personal opinion is the riskiest thing I could do is the thing that's guaranteed to fail, which is pretty much work a job, try to put money into a 401k or an IRA for the rest of your life and then hope you have some enough, enough money to retire. And that's just not true. Yeah, uh, that is the, and, and letting somebody else have control over I, your destiny, right? Instead of you having the confidence that I can have some control and influence over what happens to me and my money. And that's the thing at the end of my college days that really drove me nuts is that I remember saying, I was like, you know, I don't want someone else. And that's why I want to become a business consultant. I didn't want to work for the typical job because I didn't want somebody else telling me how much you know, I was financially worth or how much time I spent on something. I wanted to determine my own hours, make my own money, and basically control my own destiny. Yeah, and so that, that starts to explain why that crystallized so early for you. But you also have the entertainer in you, right? Because you had this thing called uh, Le Majestique Dinner and Dance Theater for a bit. <laughs> so tell us about that great adventure. Yeah, so that was where, uh, that was at a time when, uh, you know, I was really certain of, this is about 2008, and that I started really looking to my passions. And uh, like I mentioned, I, I actually did ballroom dancing. I danced with some of the professionals that you might have even seen on Dancing with the Stars. There were some of the people that danced with me in Utah when I was here studying. And, um, you know, and, and so I actually started a dinner and dance business as kind of a way to bring some of my old passions back. I did that for a short time. Uh, I ran the numbers, looked at it, and I realized with the amount of time I was putting in, the amount of profit I was making, even if I hired everything out and delegated it all, wasn't worth it. Yeah. So uh, I actually went away from that, but it was fun. A lot of people loved it and, you know, not much lately, but there's even up till a few years ago, people are like, Hey, when are you going to do one of those dinner and dance things? That'd be great. Like, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and I got to, but I got to think of it though, Chris, that a lot of it was about creativity and that's a, such an important and interesting topic to me. It seems to me like you've always been, <clears throat> excuse me, tapped into your creativity. How do you think that's been an important part of your success in business and in life for that matter? I think it's huge. Um, I, it's interesting with creativity because there's so many ways somebody can be creative. Because um, someone might think of themselves being left-brained, but left-brained people can still be creative. They don't have to be right-brained artistic. Um, the thing is, if I, one thing I teach as a true principle every time is that if you want more money, stop asking how to make more money, but begin asking how can I create more value for more people? Because dollars follow value that you create for other people. And, uh, and one thing I do really well is I get really creative of figuring out, okay, well, what do people want? Like, how can I give it to them? How can I create a win-win? That's what even got me to retire when I was 28 because I, I just kept obsessing over that question of how do I create value? And I was able to do it, you know, working like three, four hours a week. Yeah, that's fantastic. 
Hi, Chris. So then that, that brings us to then as you really start to focus in on financial coaching and then I believe in 2012, you start your cash flow expert and show uh, or you are a show host as well. So tell us about that. And that crystallizes and brings us to the business you have today, I believe. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I started doing podcasts around 2008 and uh, it was really just kind of an outlet, you know, a way to teach people. And, and I went away from it about 2012 and then just a few years ago, I was on uh, John Lee Dumas' show, Entrepreneur on Fire. And after I was on that show, I said, you know, I really like podcasting. I'm going to do that again. And it's interesting because that's actually now like my, my own show, The Chris Miles Money Show. That's actually like my number one driver for business right now. Wow. Okay. So 2008, that's way back in the podcasting uh, lifespan. Uh, <laughs> what, what, is there one or two things you can share as a podcaster with that much experience that you've learned along the way that has made your show more effective and resonate better with your listeners? You know, I think the number one thing, and this goes with anything, I mean, whether you're being interviewed or you're doing the show yourself, um, you got to know your audience. You got to know who you're talking to. You know, for example, this show, I know I was talking to a lot of business owners where the show, like I recorded just the other day, you know, I was recording, you know, for a group of like disabled people, some business owners, but a lot of them were disabled, very different message, very different approach that you'd have like with just business owners, you know, especially mm -hmm. those are coming to learn the how of business, right? And so really uh, knowing who you're talking to, even if you have to create an image of a per specific person in your head and talk to that one person, that's key. And, and I think that's the same with marketing. When you're doing your marketing is talking to that one person, that person that is your you know, ideal person or whoever the audience is you're talking to, knowing who you're talking to and doing that. I think that's been the number one way that people have resonated. And it's funny because people will reach out to me all the time. They'll say, Chris, like, I feel like I know you and you don't even know who the heck I am, yeah. but I feel like I know you. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like you're talking right to me too. It's like, well, yeah, because I am. <laughs> and to that point, you, you, do you think of it as you're talking to one person? I do. I mean, it might be a few people, but for them, it's or, or one type of person, but it usually is, is someone that either I have a very specific face in mind of someone I know, or it's just the type of person, like the conversations they're having in their head and the questions they're asking and where they're at in their, their life or their business. And as I start to talk to them that way, it's amazing how much easier it is for them to feel like they can know, like, and trust you. And that's the key in business, right? You hear it all the time. Get people, you know, your goal is to have people know, like, and trust you. And so, uh, this, I mean, whether you do podcasts or if that's not your thing, whether you're doing videos or whether you're doing writing or blogs or whatever you're doing, you know, or even just doing an infomercial, you know, at a networking event, whatever it is, I mean, make sure you know who you're talking to, talk to them and, uh, and they'll call out, like they'll, they'll pop up, they'll kind of pop up out of the audience, so to speak, and, and say, hey, like, you're the person I want. And I've noticed the more clear I am on the person that I want to attract, the more I attract those people. Yeah. Great insights. Thanks for sharing that. All right, let's get into it. The first topic I want to talk about, well, the, the key topic is this topic of cash flow. And I know you, you're an authority on that and have done that for a lot of clients. So let's get right into it. Would, would you just please start with sharing some insights at a high level and tell into how you help small business owners on this? Where, where do you start? I'm always curious. You know, there's a few places we got to start. I mean, you know, there's people out there to teach about the mindset of money. And there's people that teach you just money strategies. I do both. Because you've got to have both as an understanding. You've got to understand real, true principles of money. And principles and strategies are separate. So, for example, I mentioned about, you know, dollars follow value, right? You know, creating value for people to where they want to exchange money to receive whatever it is, whatever problem you solve or whatever value you add or solutions you bring to the table. People say, hey, I've got this paper in my wallet. I want to exchange it to get whatever that is that you have, product or service or otherwise. Um, that's a principle. The strategy about how you go about doing it is different, right? And that's where you have to figure out like what it is you bring to the table, how you can deliver that to them. And uh, strategies can change with time, but principles never change. And one thing I feel that I really see that's missing with money is one, principles aren't taught, and two, they're taught from scarcity if there ever are financial principles taught. So for example, I teach people to be stewards. Because you, most people are taught from scarcity of either being a spender. Now you're not usually taught to be a spender, that's usually model or just something that you tend to do um, where you blow money. And that comes from scarcity. You tend to do that out of fear. Um, they get a bad rap because they're actually closer um, to getting it right than most people are. But um, I've noticed that spenders, a lot of times, it's easy come, easy go. Money just tends, tends to flow out. They keep having money, but it's, it's easy. It's just gone quick, too quickly. 
Savers, on the other hand, are also in scarcity. And the sad thing is this is where all financial advisors are telling you right. to be in. Because they're telling you to spend nothing, <clears throat> save everything, save forever, sacrifice, suffer, and basically just <laughs> suck your entire life away. And, and, and hopefully you have enough at the end. Sock, and hopefully you have something away. at the end yeah. before you're dead, mm -hmm. right? And hopefully you're not in a wheelchair so you at least can enjoy it you know, before you're you know, strapped to, to some metal and you can't do anything anymore. And so that, it's always about someday. It's never about today. And, and that's where I kind of came in. And, and it really was serendipitous because I started teaching a little bit of that. I was teaching more of getting out of the rat race back in like 2007. But then the Great Recession happened and I found myself back in the rat race because I had real estate properties. I, I found myself going from millionaire to upside down millionaire. I was a million dollars in debt. I was in the hole $16,000 each month. And, uh, and, I, and I had no money, no credit, and no savings at that point. And so I had to figure out how to get really creative. And, and it's kind of interesting how my pain became everybody else's game because over the course of the next year and a half or so, like I was able to kind of get myself back into at least breaking even. And then pretty soon I was actually able to be very profitable. And, uh, and that's kind of where these cash flow tips come from. Because I had to like know the truth. One, I wasn't really watching my money that carefully in the first place. And that's why it happened so quickly. Um, I could have minimized a lot of damage if I just tracked my money. So as a first step for each of you, you know, I would recommend definitely start tracking your money in your business and your personal life. You know, business track it. I, I like to recommend things that are easy, that take very little effort because I like to work hard, you know, and, and work quick and play hard, right? So I like to be ambitiously lazy, right? And so I love systems. And so like QuickBooks online is a great tool to use for like, you know, around 13 or so dollars a month. I mean, you can pretty much get a program that tracks the money for you. You just have to go and update it a little bit. You know, and I recommend people do that once a week. And it's interesting. Whenever I have business owners that tell me, Chris, I just, I'm just too busy to even look at my money. Well, here's the thing I'll promise you. If you're doing that, you're losing at minimum $500 a month. That's $6,000 a year you're losing. Every time someone's told me that, we found at least $500 a month just from starting to track their money and, and figure out where the money's going. Are there some areas that you typically find that, just generally speaking, where is it that that's happening to most business owners? All over. Um, I mean, personal, I find a lot in the personal life, sometimes in business. Business, I tend to find a lot in trainings and education. Um, sometimes I get people that do a lot of shelf help instead of self-help. They, they basically get it and they put it on a shelf, never look at it again and never okay. implement it, and that's wasted effort. It's one thing to invest in yourself. I'm all for that. Um, but when you're just buying crap for the sake of buying crap because you're hoping for solutions but you don't do anything with them, now you're just wasting money, right? Now you're creating bad investments. You're not investing yourself. You're almost disinvesting from yourself. And so, you know, I see sometimes people put into, you know, worthless trainings, um, bad marketing. Um, I find that a lot. Um, people, I've, I've found people still advertising yellow pages. I mean, who does that anymore? <laughs> who, even, who even uses a yellow page anymore other than to throw in the trash or use it as a booster seat for their kids, right? I mean, so things like that. I tend to find money there. Um, you know, sometimes just in like wait in their employees and how they're managing them. Sometimes they don't do it. Uh, I found I've had some uh, people, especially where I worked with a lot of chiropractors and dentists. Sometimes they've been embezzled from and didn't know it, mm. just because they're not tracking it, right? Yeah. Um, dentists especially get embezzled from all the time. Um, so you know things like that. I had actually one dentist in Virginia. He wasn't being embezzled from, but just by getting him to look at his his business finances. He found another $16,000 a month that he was able to tighten the belt on and say, you know what? It's not tighten the belt to be cheap, but tighten the belt to say what's productive, what's not. You know, are you going to networking events that really aren't working and you're spending money there? Are you going, doing extra stuff and going to events or whatever it might be that just aren't producing for you? You know, take a breath, chill out, find out what's really the priority and then do that. Yeah. Yeah. You, know? you were talking about this in quite a bit of depth in one of your latest podcast episodes. I think you said you, you need to be doing less than that. Again, when people yeah. hear that at first blush, they say, wait a second, that that's contradictory to, I got to work my butt off to, to get anywhere. But so talk a little bit more about that because that certainly applies to this point of cash flow. It sounds like we're yes. going off on a tangent, but we're not, especially when you talk about marketing and there, there's a lot that goes under marketing, but to your point, I think what happens for us in small business owners, especially if we're not paying attention to the numbers, it was is we're taking a very reactive approach to marketing. Somebody approaches us to do this, we take it. You know, this guy asks for a sponsorship, we do it because we have no strategy, we have no overall plan. So mm -hmm. we kind of throw money at different things to see what works. Um, but this whole idea of doing that, you need to be doing less. Talk to me about that, if you would. 
Yeah, one thing I mentioned in that episode on my podcast, and I'm sure you know, I went to more depth there, but you know, to really sum it up, one big thing is that clarity creates confidence. The more clear you are, the, be- the faster you move, the more confident you are. I've seen a lot of people where, uh, I mean, if you think about it this way, I mean, when you're walking in the middle of the night in your house in the dark, you probably don't move nearly as fastly through, as quickly through that house as you do like when the lights are on, full broad daylight, right? And it's the same thing, like when you have clarity, when you know where you're going, it's so much easier to get there faster. And, uh, and what you want to be doing is you want to make sure that uh, you know exactly who you're talking to, who is your audience, like I mentioned earlier. And if, you know, for example, I was going to like at least a couple networking events a week, you know, and as I started to really feel it out, go with my gut and my intuition, but also kind of determine, hey, are these, are these the people I'm really looking to attract or are they not? I started to realize, wait a minute, these, this isn't right. You know, like there's, this, I mean, I love these people, but these, this is not really my market. These are not my people that I'm trying to attract. And so I'd say no to it. And for some people, especially if you're like me where you're raised that you're supposed to be busy, you're supposed to work hard, work long, things like that, it can be a little unnerving because you're like, wait, I'm going to do nothing? No, no, you're going to do something. You might instead, like for example, for me, I started reaching out to people that weren't in my area, people that were more outside of my state, you know, people that were you know, doing interviews like this or whatever it might be. And I was like, no, like, this is where I tend to have the most effectiveness. Let's drive in on that. Like, let's just keep finding what works and just keep getting better and better at doing that one, one or two things. And that's what I've done. And, and what's interesting is even though I've worked a lot less hours, I mean, I usually work less than 10 hours a week. I mean, on a busy week, I'll hit 20, you know. Um, but when I do that, like it's amazing how I've actually already surpassed my last year's numbers doing that same strategy. So I've actually said no to more things. I've even said no to a keynote address because it just wasn't my people there. And it's like as, much, as flattering as it is for your ego to go speak at big conferences, you've you got to make sure it's, it's the right event and it feels right too. And so... For me, I, I've realized that you know sometimes saying no to things, you know, it's it's been huge. So do less, but do what's effective and most productive. Yeah, great insights. And to continue with the analogy of clarity and turning on the lights. So going back to the topic of cash flow, part of it is just turning on the lights so you can see what is going on financially in your business. And, and yeah. you've touched on it. It's amazing to me how many small business owners do not know their numbers. They, for various reasons, and I understand how they get there, but but it's got to stop. You, you have to know your numbers. And that alone, to your point, is going to highlight for you where you have some areas to improve in cash flow. Mm-hmm. And then as you touched on, you know, where are you spending that you could cut back because it's not part of your focus, like training, like network events, networking events. Marketing is a huge one, as you touched on, staffing. So all of those things, if we'll focus on those things and really really cut back where we don't need to spend, that'll help cash flow. What else do you see as common mistakes that small business owners make as it relates to cash flow? You know what? So yeah, cutting back can only do so much, right? Yes. Um, and I never want people to cut back their lifestyle to the point where they're, they're suffering, you know? This is, no, this is not a type of rice and beans type of thing where you're just going to live on rice and beans and get that stupid you know, pizza job, pizza delivery job like certain people out there recommend. Right. And you're also not saying cut back staffing such that you're now working 80 hours a week. Quite the opposite, right? Quite the opposite. You're right. Now, I did have somebody who overhired, and that's a big problem. You know, right. I had a guy where I told him he's addicted to stuff and staff. He didn't <laughs> want to get rid of assets that weren't producing, nor did he want to get rid of people that were just sitting around doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And that guy had to work 80 plus hours a week, him and his wife both in the business, to just make a hundred grand a year in their personal life, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's ridiculous. I like lifestyle, and so, yeah, looking at expenses is important. Make sure they're productive. Um, I like to look at debt because I find all kinds of ways to restructure debt. I have so much fun with that one. Um, taxes, almost every, I'll tell you, every time I've had a business owner that's profitable, we have found at least $3,500 to $5,000 a year they're overpaying in taxes. Um, so there's things like that. Um, but I'll tell you the other side of the equation that people don't address usually is income. And, uh, and that's one of the biggest things. One of the biggest money leaks you have is the money you never see in the first place because mm-hmm. you don't produce it. Okay. And so I, I like to look at ways of people create more income. And there's a few ways you can do that. Uh, one, you can do it within your business. That's ideal. Because sometimes people get so distracted by little things to do here or there, it, it distracts them from their business and they lose more money than what they would make on the other thing. That's what happened with my limited gestique is that I was looking at it and saying, wow, 
the amount I would make money, I would actually be profitable, and I already was. But with the amount of time it took, it would take more money away from my business where I was doing more of the, the business financial consulting. It was going to take more money away from, and time away from that. Therefore, it would actually cost me more money than it would make me in profit. Yeah. And so I like to create multiple streams of income, especially starting in your business. So looking for ways, can you create a value add? You know, is there something you can do? Many, many of my clients, they actually need to raise prices, believe it or not. Um, a lot of them are underpriced, especially if they really are out to help people. And that's why I tend to attract. I tend to attract people that have integrity. They tend to be very you know, heart-driven in some ways. Like they want to serve people. They have a passion for their business. But what happens as a result is a lot of times they're just like, hey, I love what I do. You know, I wouldn't do, necessarily do it for free, but you know, I, I, I love it regardless of the money. Like I love it. It's a mission. It's a passion of mine. And that's where I am too. Um, but you also got to value yourself. Yeah. And I see a lot of times people are not charging the right prices for their products or services. Uh, one example is a guy, he's actually, uh, he owns funeral homes, one of my clients. Um, I told him, as we started looking at the packages, and we talked about psychological price barriers, because there are certain price points that you want to get to. For example, you don't want to price something at like 700 bucks when it could be priced at 1000 because there is no difference in people's minds psychologically between $700 and 1000 So you're actually leaving 300 bucks on the table for nothing. So I started looking at some of his packages. I'm like, well, let's get these close to these barriers. Let's figure this out. Redid his pricing. And if he didn't increase his sales at all, he would increase his, his revenue by at least 200 grand a year, $200,000, just by restructuring his prices. Yeah, great yeah. Now, if he increases sales even more, right? Right. Um, and that's a big deal. Like, make sure you're pricing it right. Um, and like I said, value adds, things that you can add that actually create more value for your clients. Um, that kind of thing is great, too. Um, it might be something lower under product funnel where maybe it's a lower priced option. It could be a higher priced option. It just depends. But there are ways to do it where you don't have to require a lot of time and effort. And, I, and that's what I like to do. And that's just in your business. And that's not even talking about things where I have you know, other business owners, they've got 401ks and IRAs saying, what do I do with these? They're kind of lame. <laughs> like, oh, we can do stuff with that. You know, I've got one business owner right now where she actually wants to work in her business because she, want, she wants to, not because she has to make money. And uh, just this year... <laughs> Um, we were taking some of her IRA money, not even all of it, and uh, she's already producing over twenty-two hundred dollars a month, and all she needs is like three thousand a month or so to live. Yeah, you know, and so like, cool, we're almost there, you know. <laughs> yeah. So she's actually planning now this next spring to go to Bali for six months, just to live there, chill out, uh, still do a few things, but now we're creating other streams of income, pass even passive streams of income that helps her do that. Yes, fantastic. I, I want to go back though, Chris, to the point about passion because you you talk about that as well. Mm. Um, I think you say so. So you're passionate about your business. So what? So talk to me about that as well because while passion is important and it's great if we love what we do, but uh, sometimes we get those two things mixed up. And I think you've touched on some of that already. But explain that a bit more. What you mean there? Yeah, I mean, so I mean, passion is necessary to be in business. I, I'll tell you, when I was a stock coach. I trained over 200 people how to trade stocks and options. And I started asking them, especially when I started to realize like, you know, a lot of the things in the stock market are against principle. You really are gambling. The first thing I would say to people is, one, you're a gambler. You're not an investor. <laughs> and then the second question I would ask, and once they're okay with that, I'd say, well, the second question is, why are you doing this? Like, what's the whole purpose why you want to do investing? Now, almost every single person would say, well, because I want to make a lot of money. You know, I, I don't want to, you know, someone would even say, so I don't, I don't have to deal with people anymore. <laughs> like, well, that's kind of against principle because dollars follow value and the checks come from people, not things. And so uh, it's interesting that they're like, oh, I want to get away from people. It's like, oh, so you're a real gambler. But every once in a while, I would get the rare person would say, you know what? I, I don't care if I even make money doing this. I think it's just fun. Like I would do this regardless of the money. And I'll tell you, those were the only people that after I, w I wasn't holding their hands and keeping them accountable, that when they were done coaching with me and they were just on their own, uh, even though they had all this, all, everybody had all the strategies to be successful, the ones that kept increasing their returns, that kept getting better, were the ones that did it regardless of the money. Those are the ones that did it. And I've noticed that in business to be true too. If people just get into business because they want to make a lot of money, they're not going to last very long. Because that's a horrible way to live life. I mean, that's basically just walking to another job. I mean, if somebody's just going to work for a paycheck, what makes that any different when you do that with your business, with your investing, or with whatever? You know, you want to do it because there's some sort of passion behind it. 
And so what I've seen is that, you know, if people do that, now passion isn't everything. You can't pay your bills with passion. Right. And that's a good point because that's, that's where I think people struggle with it. And I do is reconciling those two. You just, you made the point yourself about the dance studio where it was, it was a passion, but it wasn't the best use of your time. So striking a balance between the two, it seems is where really what we're aiming for. Am I getting that right? Yeah. It's, it's like, um, you know, people say, do what you love and the money will follow is a very common phrase. Um, and there's some truth to that, but it's a half truth. It's do what you love that others love you doing. And then the money can follow because there really are three components there. One, you do need passion. I agree with that wholeheartedly, but two, you also need to make sure that it's something that people need or you create a need. Like there's gotta be something that people are saying, yes, this adds value in my life. This is something where I need to have this because my life is better because you're in it versus not being in it at all. So there has to be some sort of value creation, something that people want. And then the third thing I say and the money may follow is because you do need to know how to manage your money, manage your business. You need to control those factors too. Because um, people can have all those equations where they are passionate about it. People love what they do, but they can't manage their business. They're going to be out of business fast. And if you've ever watched TV shows, and I recommend watching shows like The Profit or Shark Tank or even now Beyond the Tank where they talk about people that got invested in by sharks, but now they've gone beyond the tank and now they still need help. And there are some that are very passionate, have a very good product, but they're almost going out of business because things aren't being managed correctly. And uh, so you have those three components there, passion, value creation, and then of course the last one, management. If you can do those three things, those are the recipes for success in business in my opinion. Fantastic. I think that's um, so succinctly put and, and well said. And even I, I think I would add to that then is that even when you have those three things, you're going to fail sometimes and you pick yourself up and you go to the next thing. And, and that's yep. why the joy of it has to be there. Enjoying the process has to be there as well. Exactly. But very well said. So I want to go back to your point. You work about 20 hours per week. I'm curious then when you're at that point, What's the structure and the system or, and support system around you? Can you describe that for me? You know, it's, it's very simple. Um, I, I actually have hired less people now, which is interesting. You'd usually think that to be working less, you have to delegate everything. Um, but when I started to get focused on what were really productive activities and what weren't, I realized that I had even other people doing unproductive activities too. And so as I started to focus in on that, I still do hire some things out, of course. I mean, I got to do that. Um, and that's where it creates a lot of leverage, but, uh, but I've actually keep it very simple, like something that's very manageable and, and that's what keeps me a very part time. Um, the other thing is too, is like when I structure my day, now I'm actually trying to keep certain hours and, uh, and that's actually at the request of my, my wife, I just got married. And so, uh, where we're trying to homeschool kids and, uh, and do other things too, I've tried to try to keep my hours within a certain amount of hours. So, um, that commitment and just that focus of wanting to go there and again be productive not just be busy that's been everything that's made me to work a lot less do you have an assistant uh part-time but very very part-time and who does your books who does the back office do you do uh, that? I, just, I just do my own books yeah I, I kept it very simple i spend maybe a few like really no more than 10 or 15 minutes a week on my my finances and numbers and my business so one of the overriding themes, obviously, is you just you have learned and gotten better and better at saying no to a lot of things and being very mm -hmm. careful what you do say yes to. Correct. Yep, I protect it. Even when somebody invites me to do something, for me, I have to feel it out a little bit because I might get flattered or excited that they invited me. Um, but I'll usually wait another day or two before I tell them yes or no. Interesting. And uh, that saved me a lot because sometimes I'd say yes too readily because I'm like, oh, yeah, sounds awesome. Let's do it. And I like to move fast sometimes, but um, when I've done that, then I'm like, ugh, now I just overcommitted myself. Oh, was this really productive? Am I just wasting time? You know, be able to wait that day or two after somebody invites me, that helps a lot. Mm, makes sense. All right, I want to segue next into, we've talked about ways to improve our cash flow, take more money home, work more effectively. And then you, you talk about the, what you call the three circles of wealth, which is about keeping what you make. So would you please introduce that? Yeah, three circles of wealth, keeping what you make. It's really like three ways to protect yourself, right? Um, three things that kind of add more peace of mind to your life. Uh, so for example, one, and this is very important in business, is one, you got to make sure you have emergency savings. Um, even, but I, I get a lot of business owners are like, I want to pay off my debt right now. <clears throat> No, like, <laughs> let's hold off. Let's, uh, let's make sure you build some savings. Now, I had one client where 
I told them to build up to 10 grand because that's where they're, I call it, they're finding their zero. It's like, what, what point do you start to feel like you can relax a little bit and not stress if, you know, things are happening in your life? Everybody has their different numbers. Some people are like at a thousand bucks. Some people might be 10,000. Others might be 50,000. Just depends on the person. But I was like, what, at what point do you start to feel stress? Like if the number in your checking account or savings account goes below a certain number. And that's where we'll find that number. One of them was 10,000. And so I said, let's get it up to 10,000. And, uh, and they said, yeah, but Chris, we can take that money. We can pay off this credit card. I said, yep, don't do it. And funny enough, like uh, they actually had um, a situation come up with their health, with her health specifically. Hmm. And, um, and luckily we knew, okay, at any time we could pay this off. It was an extra $1,000 a month of medical bills they were having to pay. And so I said, you know what, just keep going. We're going to be good. But make sure we, you know, this is why we have the savings here in the first place. The credit card still paid down. And after about a year, year and a half, not only were the, the credit card paid off, um, but they had gotten through that. They got through their little wave there. And now they still have their savings intact. And, so, so uh, why this approach of, why do you think it works that you, instead of having paid down that credit card debt, they built up their savings? There, I think there's a psychological reason there, but, but why is it that? totally, totally psychological. That's exactly the reason. Here's the thing. In business, the, the last thing you want to do is, is work desperate. You know, it's, it's that whole uh, forcing your business versus, you know, versus you know, being powerful in your business. When people try to force their business, when people need the money and they're desperate for money, and you know these people, you've been to probably networking groups or been around people where you could tell they're desperate for money. These are the people that you try to go on the other side of the room because you know that they're not for your best interest, they're just for their own. And so you feel gross. You feel like you have to shower after you're around those people, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, you don't want to be that person either. And I've even noticed in my own life that if I'm hurting for money, it's very hard to stay in an abundant state. And that abundant state is essential if you want to attract more clients or customers in business. And so when you have that money there, you can powerfully say to your, to, you know, even if you're not saying it verbally, you can say it in your mind. Whenever someone's a potential customer or client, you can say, you know what? I don't need your business. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be just fine. But you probably need me. So let's see if there's a way I can serve you. And when you come from that place of power to say, you know, I don't need your business, but you might need me. Now you can stand with more confidence. You can say no to the wrong people because you probably said yes to the wrong people before and you regretted it. Um, but you can say no to the wrong people and say yes to the right people. And in fact, the right people will keep wanting you. They'll be like, I don't know why. I just need to work with you. I've had people actually say, like, I actually don't know why I want to work with Chris. I just know I want to. And it's because, like, I'm not forcing anything. I have a very I'm, – I'm inviting people. And people want that. They want to make sure that they can feel comfortable. Yeah, and they, so, they, they want that because they know they're going to get value and they, they sense and feel that you're going to give them what they need, not sell them something they don't need. Bingo. Exactly. They know you're looking out for them, that you're their advocate, not someone who's just trying to push a product or a service to them. Okay, so I got that. Perfect. So that's one of the components of the circles, the three circles. What else? Yep. The other one's managed cash flow, which we've talked about. So yep. we've kind of covered that. Yep. And then the third one is, is safe investments, like safe places to store money. Um, what I find a lot of times is that sometimes people, even if they've got a successful business, they are stressing about what the other money is doing. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. I, there was one client, probably the biggest client we've ever worked with was worth over $70 million. And the problem with, with what he was going on, was going on with him was he had 500000 invested in a crappy, some speculative venture that wasn't working out so well. Well, that was distracting him so much, it was costing him even more than $500,000 in his business because he was distracted by what was going on with that. And remember I mentioned, we don't want to invite scarcity, fear, doubt. We don't want to invite any of that into your life because that affects your business too. And so if we want to do that, let's make sure that if you're going to store money anywhere, you store where it's safe, it's secure. You're not going to lose money. You're not worried about whether or not, you know, whichever president gets into office that all of a sudden the markets are going to go crazy, right? You want to make sure that you're safe. And that's what people are, are so freaked out about. So getting a safe, secure places where you're not worrying about the money, that's the key. That's okay, so so I completely agree with you. However, it does sound a lot like what we were saying wasn't so great, which is diversifying. So how how is this different, or how is this a version of that that we need to have? Yeah, so diversify. I actually believe that diversi diversification um, from the traditional sense is crap. Okay, you're <laughs> talking about the the traditional thing that's thrown at us that you have to have a mix of portfolio of mutual funds and be in all the different industries. That type of financial advice diversity is what we're saying is crap. Yeah. 
And that's not even real diversification because they're that's all right. in paper assets. I know, right? exactly. <laughs> so um, I, I do like diversification. Like I like real assets. I do like things like gold and silver. You know, not so much as a, an investment, but that's always a good protection thing to have. Um, things like, you know, having real estate, you know, having real property is much better than a piece of paper. Um, you can have paper assets, but don't be putting all your money into that. You know, your business is another asset as well. And so that's a way to diversify yourself. Um, so I believe in diversification in different classes, but you don't do it all at once. You do it very strategically and you can do it the right way. But make sure that if you are in, in, in certain things, especially if they take time and energy away, you want to make sure they don't. Like even when I have people do real estate, we still make sure that they get property managers and such so they're not being distracted by it. So they're just making the money, they're getting the cash flow, but they're not being distracted by um, time consumption, right? That's the key. Yeah. Okay, great. All right, I want to move on to the next topic. As we're, we are recording this, it's a couple days after the election in 2016. And so a lot of uh, a lot going on related to that. And we are not going to get into the political aspects of that in this episode. But you just posted yesterday, I think it was on your Facebook post, a Facebook page, rather, mm -hmm. a very interesting post. Let me just read it here briefly. Quote, we, the people must choose. And you have that in capital letters. It continues, you must choose love over hate, acceptance over division, kindness and compassion over judgment and criticism, listening over arguing, cooperation over competition, patience over impulsiveness, being the hero in control of your life over being the victim, thinking others control it. And so that last point, end quote, I should say. And so that last point really resonated with me as to this conversation, because I think it relates so much to business, so much to people who are thinking about becoming their own boss and are afraid of it or have held back. So let's talk about that and the role that you think that plays that, and we've touched on this because of the whole abundance kind of mentality versus scarcity, scarcity mentality. I think it ties into that. Mm -hmm. But I just like to talk a little bit more about that, that instead of being the victim, taking responsibility and ownership for who we are and who we become. Right. Yeah, it, it's interesting to see how many people believe that somehow a person elected in office will take over, take control of the whole aspect of their lives and even over the country. Um, one, there is no government that can totally control you. Um, if there's ever a great book, and I know you're going to ask me for book, book recommendations, but a great book if you're ever wanting to get deeper in this topic is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Um, amazing book about him being in the concentration camps. And he talked about how they took away his name, took away his clothes, took away his life and his family and everything, but they can never take away his mind. And that's the thing I think is so important is that you, can, you, you are in control of your life. You choose whether it be abundance or scarcity. And that quote you're, really is me breaking down a lot of aspects of, of abundance versus scarcity. We're in a very scarcity-driven country right now, a scarcity-driven world for that matter. And, and when people believe that they're not in control, when other people control what's happening, you can't be successful in business when you think it's all circumstantial. You've got to believe that you are the one that's in control. You're the one that makes it up. And there's so many people that have proven everybody's excuse is wrong. Whatever excuse you've given, there's always somebody or probably hundreds of thousands of people even that have proven you're wrong. So stop blaming everybody else. Stop blaming why you're successful or whatever it might be. Take control for what's happening, knowing that you can actually create anything that you truly, truly desire. And that I think that's the key point right there. Yeah, inspirational. And I think it manifests itself so many different ways, including, you know, I'm sure you get the question, I know I do a lot, is, is this a good time to start a business? It's never been a better time to start a business. It's always a good time. When you are ready and you've found a good idea and a good concept and you, you've done your research, that's when you're ready. Now, forget mm -hmm. about all of those external uh, inputs and, and reasons why. Those are just excuses that you're creating for not taking that last step. Yeah, when you're a producer, when you're somebody who's actually like in control of your life, you're being the hero of your own life, you know, you realize that it's always the right time is right here and the right well, right now and the right time the right place is right here. Like it's not like you have to get in the ground floor of a great opportunity and have the right timing. And there are people that are in business that are kind of jumping around because they're trying to find just the magic bullet, the right just the right opportunity. If they get get in at the ground floor or the right time, it's always the right time, it's always the right place. Like yeah. just Focus on serving people and creating value. That is the surest and safest way to create wealth and create a lot more happiness and, and reward in your life. 
And it always has been and always will be. It won't go out of style or in and out of political uh, correctness or favor. It's always been the case. And and in today's age, we have so many advantages with technology and the Internet that really make it even easier than it ever has been to start a business, in my opinion. Absolutely. All right. We'll start to take a personal turn here and start to wrap it up. so when you look at your life and your business success, what do you think have been some of, we touched on some of them, but what do you think have been some of the keys to that success that you've had in life and in business? You know, I, I really believe that it's been persistence. I mean, for me, that's the thing is that even though I made a lot of mistakes, even though I was in, you know, in a massive financial hole and everything else, it's just keep persistent, like keep moving forward. Even when it feels overwhelming and you want to just quit and in some ways, you know, there, there's days I just want to sit in the corner and and pretty much wet on myself, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like it just felt that hopeless sometimes. Um, but I think hang on to hope. Um, even when I was going through my toughest time, and maybe you're struggling right now, whoever's listening to this, maybe you're struggling. I'll tell you the way I got out of that mess is that I started focusing and realizing that there are no accidents, that everything happens in life for a reason. And because of that, it's like, okay, I don't know why I'm going through this. Why did I go from such, you know, retired to now out of the rat race to now back in the rat race? And now I'm, the Great Recession is kicking the trash out of me. You know, and I could have blamed the Great Recession, and yeah, those factors were involved, but I knew I still had the choice to create something. And I knew that it was happening for a reason. I knew that at some point there's got to be somebody that's going to be benefited from me going through what I'm going through. And so I held on to the faith that, you know, hey, if it's just one person, if it's just to help one person as I get out of this, whatever reason this is and whatever it's supposed to look like, it's supposed to help me. It's for my better and for somebody else's better too. And that held me through some really dark times, you know. I mean, there's times where my, my now ex-wife, she wanted to take the kids and just go moving with her sister. She's like, well, maybe you just need to figure your stuff out. We're probably just getting in the way. Like, what are you talking about? That's the worst thing you could do in my life right now is mm-hmm. pack up the kids and move while I'm trying to figure out how to make things work. And so, you know, that's, I'll tell you, the, that persistence, like just holding on to that hope, that faith, that there's a reason for everything, that there's a lesson. And there's probably tools you're developing in this hardship that's allowing you to become stronger and better. That's what you want to be looking for. Yeah, that's great insight there and so much that can take away. And I think it ties to the previous point we were talking about. Are you the hero in your own life instead of being the victim? Yes. And, and I, I'm glad you clarified. I, I'm included in this. Absolutely. There are days when we fail miserably at this, but then we have the persistence to get back up the next day and go at it again. Yep, Exactly. What do you love most about what you're doing today? You know, I, I love most of that I make a difference. I, I tell you, my number one driver of everything is how do I make an impact in people's lives? And I love that I offer something that's so unique that people just aren't doing, um, something that's unique to me and, um, and that I can bring to the table that no one else can and, and be able to make a massive difference in people's lives. I mean, the fact that I mean, on average, my clients find about thirty-three dollars to $34,000 a year between money they make or money that they free up is huge. I mean, that has changed lives. It's saved marriages. It's, it's got people to be passionate about their businesses again because they're getting burned out. I mean, that kind of stuff, just the ripple effect it creates. And that's why I call the company Money Ripples because it creates a ripple effect in people's lives. And, and, that's, and that was the, really the driving force behind Money Ripples was that I wanted to create the ripple effect that affected the benefit of the individual and their family that ripples out to their community, the country, and ultimately across the world and creating more abundance, more freedom, and, and more just better quality of life with them and their families. Um, that's, that's why I do what I do every day, and that's what I love. Yeah, I love that. And I love the name Money Ripples. I figured that's what it meant. I was going to ask you about that, but I'm glad you clarified that. That's very, very clever. So speaking of Money Ripples, how do you summarize for us how you engage with clients? What do you offer in the way of services and programs? Yeah, I mean, if it's not like, you know, I've got everything from like home study courses to, you know, a lot. I mean, just to help people with that kind of stuff and cash flow. So depending on where you are in your life, like I've got a, probably a solution or an answer for you. Um, but I've also got like one-on-one coaching I do, consulting that I do personally. And, uh, and the biggest way I do that is I'm just getting down and dirty, like looking at everything from the business to the personal finances, looking at everything, not just, you know, hey, what's your investments doing? Although that's part of it, but I'm looking at everything, even like, legal work like are you protected legally I mean we're looking at taxes and that's why I don't I, I quit being a financial advisor because I knew I couldn't keep selling products like financial advisors typically do they're just salesmen in suits I had to become more of a consultant and stand apart from that 
the cool thing is I have a whole team that surrounds me that helps with that. So I've got accountants and CPAs that help me. I've got attorneys. I've got insurance people and investment people and mortgage brokers and merchant account services and you name it. I mean, if there's anything with money dealing with your business or your personal life, I've got a team around me to support and, and create that. And so, uh, so that's kind of what I do, and that's where people get their benefit. Yeah, fantastic. And that last point goes back to the question I had asked about your, your how you structure yourself. But so this, you're touching on part of that. You have this virtual team of partners, affiliates, some combination thereof that mm-hmm. help you deliver value to your clients, correct? Right. Yeah, it's a it's kind of a perfect win-win-win because they lo- I mean, my team loves me because I'm bringing them business. But uh, my clients love me because I'm connected with people that, that one, they have a very rare philosophy. I mean, like even like accountants. I mean, accountants are so hard to find good CPAs that get it from an abundance mentality, a business owner mentality, which is hard to find, and uh, and then be able to deliver some amazing results for people. It's just so rare. And so, I mean, spending the last decade trying to put this team together of people that, uh, you know, whatever people need or want, be able to help deliver that, It's it's been huge. And and that's where, yeah, when I mentioned I create leverage, that's why. It's because I didn't have to be the do-it-yourselfer like I used to be as a financial advisor. I said, you know what? I'm really good at certain things. I'm good at a big picture and strategizing, but I hate dealing with paperwork. <laughs> I hate doing the nitty-gritty details. And so I like to stay more strategic. And, uh, and what better way to do that than to kind of stand apart, stand on my client's side of the table versus the other side of the table, and then uh, and kind of be their liaison or their advocate between them and, and the team and make sure that we all work together as a team to help create the best results possible. Yeah, it's great stuff. All right, the Chris Miles Money Show podcast, for those who haven't listened to it, just tell us briefly what it's about and who it's for. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's for two different types of people especially. Um, if you've ever asked the questions, one, okay, I'm in business and I'm making money in my business and I'm making more, but where's it all going? <laughs> right? Like, I'm making more money in my business, but I don't feel like I have more. I don't feel like I have a better lifestyle. Um, this is definitely the show for you. Um, if you're also saying, I have this money, and it, but it's not doing anything for me, when can I get my money working for me so I don't always have to work for money? That's also a perfect show for you. Um, and even if you're a startup entrepreneur, I've had some people that are you know, full-time in their jobs, they're trying to launch a business, um, that they've used this to help them to launch. You know, I actually had an episode recently where it talked about how you can actually quit your job in 12 months or less, you know, and that kind of thing. So um, it's really focused towards those, especially business owners, or towards those people that want to break the norm, break the tradition, and actually want real freedom and time and want their life back, especially from a financial standpoint. That's really what my show is catering to. Fantastic. And I think I was listening to it on iTunes. What platforms can I find it on? Yeah, it's on iTunes and Stitcher, um, and I think on a few other type platforms like apps. Um, but also, uh, if you ever go directly, it's on Blog Talk Radio as well. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Book recommendation. Was that uh, Man's Search for Meaning? Is that the book you would recommend to our listeners? Yeah, that's one. I, I think another one that would be good in general. I mean, that's great if you are if you feel like you're struggling with victimhood. <laughs> um, <laughs> in general, I, I, there's uh, several books I like. Um, I love Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Um, if you haven't read that book, that is a must read, especially if you want to see business and money differently. Um, and then another book as well would be How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. That is my favorite book that I still refer to over and over because I think that's the crux of how to create value for people in business. Great recommendations. Rich Dad, Poor Dad is one of my favorites and I completely agree. It is what helped me. I read it many, many years ago. It's what helped me kind of shift my thinking on money and how it mm-hmm. really works. Uh, so we'll have links to all of those recommendations on the show notes page for this episode. And you can find that at thehowofbusiness.com. All right, Chris, we'll start to wrap it up. Last couple questions. Uh, last parting piece of advice or thought for our listeners. Yeah, I think I would just, I mean, there's so many nuggets we covered today. I, I think the one that always comes back to is, again, stop asking how do you make more money in your business. That is the wrong question. It hasn't worked for generations. It'll continue not to work for generations. <laughs> Because if that were the case, everybody would be rich. But start asking the cause of money, which is value. Like, what can you do? What can you offer that creates the most value for the most people? If you start to focus on that and try to figure out how to create that leverage and creating more value for people, not only, not only will you make more money, but your business will flourish because people will see, hey, you're different, you're amazing, and you're actually focused on what I want. And that's, that's the key to success in any business. Fantastic. And where would you like our listeners to go to find out more about you and your business and your podcast? Yeah, definitely. You know, look at my podcast, The Chris Miles Money Show, as we mentioned earlier. 
Um, you can also go to my website, moneyripples.com. That's M-O-N-E-Y-R-I-P-P-L-E-S.com. In fact, I've got a free ebook that's only 28 pages, probably about a 15-minute read. Um, that's called Beyond Rice and Beans, Seven Secrets to Free Up Cash Today that you can check out. Fantastic. And we'll have links to that as well on the show notes page. Chris, this has been a valuable uh, time spent for me. I've learned a lot. I'm trusting our listeners have as well. Thanks for being with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Folks, this is Henry Lopez, and you've been listening to another episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream.